what's up? It's your girl, Fada Long Legs. Um, just got a couple announcements. I want to let you guys all know that there is a trigger warning for this episode. Um, we do talk about suicide, suicidal ideation. Uh, we do not get graphic, but we do talk about this topic of suicide, about being suicidal, and about um, uh, sort of the, the uh, events that have followed um, in specific um, ways. So if you are, um, you know, unable to handle that topic, I would advise, um, you know, taking this time to go outside and get some fresh air or read a book or I don't know, but you probably don't want to listen to this. Or I don't know, maybe you want a good cry, but that's the warning. Um, don't have really a lot of announcements. It's really been um, a tough week all around for uh, everybody, you know, in America and across the world, but um, I think it is one of those things where it's just much harder to not feel the magnitude of, um, like, just the pain and suffering as everybody collectively is having these feelings together. It's just so amplified. So, on that note, I just want to say, um, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for being a part of this family. Um, I really appreciate it. It's really at the beginning of quarantine, I was like, I think I'm going to stop doing this podcast, but, um, it's been really nice to hear from people who, uh, found positive, uh, I guess positive moments from listening. So I also have positive moments from talking to these guests and hearing from you, so thank you so much. Um, in the spirit of being totally honest and confessional, I wanted to share an interesting story that came up this week about this podcast, but not specifically on the podcast. Um, a, uh, a colleague of mine, or an ex-boyfriend of a colleague of mine, his ex-boyfriend was my colleague. So, you know, one of those connections that are sort of connections, but not totally connections. Um, he reached out about having me on a podcast with his. That's not comedic, and this is all just backstory. That's not important. But the point is, I'm setting this up so you know that we haven't kept in touch much, and we don't know each other well, but we respect each other. But enough for him to say, um, after uh, the host talked to me, he reached out and kind of nervously was like, hey, there's something I want to ask you. Um, we really want to discuss, oh, the podcast is about confronting race, um, and one of the hosts is a white woman who wants to sort of have the uncomfortable conversations with the idea. So I think, great, that's what she wants to do. It just, this was very interesting because um, then the producer asked um, about my podcast logo. So here is where I want to bring this to you because I'm curious if anyone else thought this, but also I just wanted to use this as an example of the time when I felt uncomfortable and then immediately realized it's not about me. So he said, we want to ask you about your podcast logo, which you guys have probably seen. Um, Jamie Walsh just designed it. It's really wonderful. Um, she did it on a huge discount for me, but uh, I love her so much. Um, so I, you know, I just basically said, hey, it's a podcast about secrets. Um, so I'm something that is reminiscent of, you know, people talk, telling secrets on the school, schoolyard. And that's what she did. Uh, but then, I guess I, this is also part of the idea of, like, being interested and cognizant, and I didn't really think too much about what, how that might appear. So, this producer basically asked, do, did you, uh, make yourself blonde and white appearing? Because if you guys haven't seen the logo, it, it is two random cartoon girls, but they're not modeled after anyone. But um, one of the girls um, is black, and one of the girls appears to be white. They're both cartoons, so they're really, you know, they're, they're cartoons. But, um, but I get it. Representation is very important. So the one that's getting the secret told 
has blonde hair. So he was like, why did you make yourself white? Um, and again, we just wanted to ask this before we went on the podcast so that you weren't, you know, ambushed by it, but we want to discuss this. And I was very surprised, but I answered honestly. Cause I, and here's the thing that I want to share with you. Because in the moment I was able to take us up a second and realize where he's coming from and that's if that's what he thought, this was probably a very hard conversation for him to have with me. Um, even though my instinct was to laugh, I realized really the truth is it doesn't really matter. My intention is to do it that way and make someone feel a certain way. It is worth talking about. So my confession to you now is how I felt, um, yeah, I felt slightly uncomfortable that I, that hadn't been my intention and then wanting to talk about it, but then also wanting to, um, I guess there was a feeling of needing to set the record straight, which I had to confront within myself. Because why? What's the point of that, right? Does it really matter what my intention was if there are people out there who view that as me wanting to, um, you know, erase my Asian identity? Then I can't go up to every single one of them because they're not going to ask. Every single one of them won't ask. Me. So it is important to think about these things when you're making content. So I, I recognize that. Um, there's way more I can speak to this because I, I do really think when I was younger I did have a lot of internalized self-loathing, um, which I'm sure can bleed into many aspects. Specifically when it comes to this logo, I didn't want my picture on it and that's why I asked for a cartoon. So I did not ask to be represented in it. Although there is another question like, why not, right? Why don't you feel there's a place for you? So he brought up enough questions within me that I felt I wanted to share with you guys confidants. Um, so I'm curious if you've seen that logo, if you've ever thought anything specific or if you thought it was me or not, or if you felt um, offended, or if this is all new to you, I'm still curious what you think. Um, but that's it, that was my confession. So ultimately, um, I'm really glad I sat in that discomfort because then we talked about it and he was like, oh, okay, that totally changes everything. But I was like, you know what? It doesn't though. I don't, you don't need to um, dismiss your instincts because the reality is people probably do do that. So your instincts aren't off. Um, the only reason I said I don't want to talk about in their podcast is because I'm not the artist and I, I, um, I know that wasn't her intention. So I, I just didn't want to um, shine the attention on someone other than myself. But... Everyone listening to this podcast knows me and knows Jamie, so I think you guys can understand the complexity of it. So I really appreciate you listening to that confession. Um, if you have thoughts or you want to talk to me, tweet me at Larissa T or on Instagram at Larissa T or email me, tell me anything pod at gmail.com. Alright, thank you guys. Enjoy this episode. You can tell her, you can tell her anything. She's a real I'm speaking like announcer. Yo, what's up? It's your girl, Father Longlegs. This is Daddy T. You know me. This is You Can Tell Me Anything. Podcast where comedians confess something they want to get off their chest. And boy, is it a time. It's a season of confessions. Like, it's, it's, what, what was it? Yom Kippur? Which is the one? I don't know. There's one about being sorry, I feel like just came up. That's probably wrong. You know what? I'm sorry. I am sorry. I'm always sorry. Okay, so... <laughs> My guest is laughing because she's like, 
<laughs> what the fuck? Like right before this, I gave her a spiel and I sounded organized. And immediately I hit record and don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's um, what happens. Yep. That voice you're hearing is my guest. I'm so excited to have her on the show. She's been a co-host of Comedy Quarantine with me for the last few months. Um, and just so grateful to have her on the team. Even though we live in different cities, Zoom has brought us together. She um, is one of the producers of Ladies of the Layover, which was an amazing show when stand-up still existed and will be again when we it comes back so definitely follow that watch that um and her twitter is at dominique jellin put your hands together for dominique jellin um but dom i like to um start by asking the guests for a good confession just so we can get to know you in a positive light or not wow words are not my friend (laughs) (laughs) let me take that once more I like to start with a good confession, just to start off on a positive note um, and to get to know you better. Dom, is there something good you'd like to confess? Yes, my good confession is that I for sure had cookies for breakfast today. <gasps> oh my god, um, that's such a good confession! What kind of what <laughs> kind of cookies? Have, uh, so I went to Safeway late last night, and there are these cookies that my mom used to get as like a splurge cookies, and they're like are they the sugar French, ones? Like, no, no, no. Oh. They, they, they're boxed cookies, mm. and it's called the Pretty Ecolier, or like the oh, little schoolboy yes. in English. Yeah, and it's just a biscuit with like milk chocolate on top. I get the milk chocolate ones. Um, and if I'm not careful, I'll just like kill a box in oh, one sitting. So I God. did a half box last night and a half box this morning. Uh, and you know what? No regrets. It's It was delightful. I love that because you said that, and I know exactly what I'm talking about. But also... I love Petit Ecolier cookies growing up, but then when I studied abroad in France for a semester, and when I was there, again, dumb, not like they're not like the thing you get in France. I just happened to, I was a 19-year-old trying to find familiarity. So when I saw them in the grocery store and they're cheap, cheap there, I bought a bunch. And for like the whole semester, it was like one of those things where it's like almost a joke problem, but it was like... I was living by myself with a cat I got from a cemetery. It's truly a nightmare. But I would eat these cookies. Like, I would buy a box, and the, that day I'd finish it, and then I'd be like, oh, I have to wait a few days before I get another. But, you know, then I'd... To the point where I was like, it's probably fine, but I definitely feel like I'm eating an absurd amount of these boxes of cookies. And then it, it was. At a certain point, I, I had to be like, okay, there's something... There's something going on. Like so these cookies feel like love or something because I can't stop Honestly, eating them. <laughs> it starts to feel a little compulsive. Like yeah. I just it's hard for me to like I think there was a point in time when I could just eat one, but the pandemic has brought about like any compulsive tendencies that yes. I've ever had are amplified right now. And so these cookies apparently are one of them I'm also like counting all day. I don't know about you, but like all my ticks are coming back. So oh, like wow, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I have my favorite numbers, and so I do 2, 4, 16, 32, 64 for reasons that I can go into at some point. But They sound I, like, yeah, very, like, uh, even numbers. Like, I don't know how to describe it. That's not the – but I know what you mean. There's a there's a vibe to the numbers yeah. you describe. Oh, yeah, I can definitely walk you through. Here's – You know, this this wasn't. No, 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 no. I love this because even as you're saying, I think we like are on the same level a little bit because I'm already understanding you, and I'm like, let me break it down for the audience. But (laughs) the what you said just made me realize like nobody's ever classified people this way because we classify would be like favorite color, astrology sign. But I bet if you ask people, are you odd or even without context, people have an answer. Do you know what I mean? Like you saying that, I'm like, you're even. 
I, I'm definitely I, even. I know to my core I'm odd and I don't know. I'm just like <laughs> one, three, seven, five, 13. Like that's boom, comfort. That's like, so funny. It's just, no, I don't know me. what that is, but I feel it. <laughs> it's, it's something. I mean, are you an odd or even? We got to, maybe we tweet that out and just see what people say. That's the new one. Yeah. I, I will it. say it didn't, I, I think. Okay, so this isn't the confession that I was going to bring, but I'll just say it. It started off, like, when I when I was a kid, I realized I was right-handed, um, and I felt bad that my right hand was doing a lot more things than my left hand. Like, oh. I felt bad for my left hand. And so, for a while, anything I did with my right hand, I also did with my left. And so, that just meant that I was doing everything twice. Um, but I was like, by doing everything twice, that means each hand is only doing it once. And so I would do everything four times. Mm. Um, and then I was like, well, you know, four is the best thing to come out of the number two. But the only thing better than four is four, four times. And then wow. I would do things 16 times. And then like, so it's one of those things. Uh, and then, you know, like, and then it kind of like goes from there. Um, and it's one of those things where I was like, I don't have OCD because it doesn't like impede me from going to work or like doing all these things. But if I am feeling very anxious, then like I will like, close my fist twice and then four mm -hmm. times and then 16 times and then do that whole thing four times. And then I'm like, all right, now I could go on and do whatever I was going to do. Um, well, anyways, this is, so no, no, no. I've, so this is the interesting thing. And I'm really glad we're talking about this because traditionally I feel like Hollywood and movies and TV really do, uh, paint OCD in a stereotypical light. Yes. There are people who, um, have it where it's impeding your life and, what you're describing you don't have OCD but the reality is it's um anything it's not overnight you become you don't become an extreme right just like alcoholism right. you don't start from drinking um a, you don't go your first drink is not you ruin your entire life and family and right. end up on the street so to me I think this is really important and this is one of the criticisms I've had this year about the mental health system is like as I see myself getting closer to the edge I'm trying to not go there and find help but there's not much help for the middle right like you said I don't have OCD right. blah, blah blah but you have these tendencies that if unchecked and you leaned in too far could become really extreme but because you're still connected to the world you can manage it that's actually the time we should be most interested in treating and right. discovering <laughs> so it never gets there but yet when you are functional um, to outsiders is what I should say, because I think everyone's functional. Yeah. They're just finding their own way to function. Um, people will be like, oh, you're fine. Like, it's almost like there's a quickness mm -hmm. to brush off. Like, oh, you don't have that thing that scares me. But it's like, right. why don't you like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm phrasing this right. But what I'm saying is you explained it so clearly. It's very rational. Like, yeah, it might be funny to lean into a tendency, but you didn't say it in a way where people are like, oh, my God, what is she doing? It's like. Yeah, okay, I, I see how your brain got there, and that made, you explained it very well, you know? Yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. You know what it's like? It's like, um, I don't know if it's still the case in Florida, but I had a friend back home who, like, a few years ago, we tried to get her a restraining order against somebody who threatened her, mm. and the cops were like, that person hasn't hit you yet, so, like, we can't actually give you a restraining order. And you're just like... Oh my God, we are trying to like, it's, there's just nothing preventive. In you know, traditionally sort of cops, really wonderful people. Just all, <laughs> always Top have, always have your best interests at heart. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's like last night, the joke that didn't work, but I tried to do a new one in case audience saw my old jokes was just the idea of like airbags. Like it's safer to drive a car with an airbag, but you don't want that airbag to go off. Like it's not like right. you're trying to, you don't want it to go off every time you're driving. Um, oh, something you said made me want to 
Oh gosh, because I I love this numbers thing. No, prevented? yeah, no, no, no. When you're talking about numbers, I mean, I oh. swear I won't focus on it too much. Oh, I know what it is. Okay, because I had some OCD tendencies, and forgive me if I'm using the wrong words here, because I actually realized I don't know because I've never gotten like mm. the stuff that I've gotten mentally treated for is like anxiety and depression, yeah. um, and never for like compulsions. So. Totally, and no um. I'm only saying that because I, if, if please do correct me if the way I'm speaking about this is insensitive, I'm, I should probably have looked it up before I talk about this. I don't know what we're talking about this, but I'm, I'm going to put myself out there and just talk. So feel free uh, to, to let me know. So when I was growing up, I also had uh, OCD tendencies or compulsive tendencies. Like I had to cross over, um, you know, cracks in a certain way. Oh, if alternating? I, yeah. You alternate the feet. And then if it was the wrong like number of counts I have to go back things like that yeah and I grew up and I kind of out of it but recently in quarantine I found okay I haven't talked about this publicly but I'll share it because you said it and we were talking about your feet on comedy quarantine I've been like <laughs> picking at my feet like my the skin on my feet which sounds gross but the thing is it's something that people probably do but not compulsively you might do every once in a while you're like oh there's some dead skin bloop but somehow I've noticed in the definitely in the last like two months, it's developed where some days I'll just be sitting there like I don't want to do anything and I'll start picking and just like compulsively. I'm like, I should probably stop. And then an hour will go by and I'm like, I'm still picking at the skin. But I know yeah, it's a compulsion. Like it's like I could if someone came in the room and was like, Teresa, you're disgusting. I could still pull myself out of it. But when I'm alone, there's a feeling of like, well, just. I'll stop later. Like, why not? What else am yeah. I going to do? Just sit here, be sad or sit here, be sad and have a thing to focus on. <laughs> One thousand percent. Here's the thing. I, um, so as you know, I've gotten bug bites. When, when Teresa was like, oh, we were talking about your feet. We were talking about bug bites on my feet. We weren't just like, no, we love to just toes. talk about Dom's but... toes, you know, <laughs> this little thing you went to the these... market. <laughs> Exactly. That is that a actually, that's a foot fetish podcast that needs to exist or doesn't need to exist. Like yeah, this little yeah, piggy, we didn't, and then just, <laughs> just we didn't actually do a comedy things. show. We just sang songs about each other's feet. Um, oh my god! <laughs> no, but in addition to those really gnarly bites, I had the very regular bites, mm. and these are the ones that I've been. I don't, well, you can see it. I've been picking mm. at this one. This is the one that I've been doing compulsively, and now it's scarring. And oh. it's just because, like, as soon as it starts to scab over, that's like. And sometimes I'll stop and then I'll look up and I'll be like, nope. And then, you know, and then you yeah. just like, it's, it's fucking bonkers how, um, honestly it feels like magnetic mm -hmm. and it just feels like, I know this is kind of like a little painful and a little bad for me, but it just feels more productive than anything else I was going to do or makes me feel sane somehow, even though yes. this behavior makes me feel like I'm being insane. It's but very calming for me. It's, I know it's meditative, but this isn't, this is what my therapist told me, but I also don't fully believe everything therapists say now because I've full on totally given into them and told them like, like I want to get like full help if I can. And then they're like, you're not suicidal enough. Basically. I'm like, well that I don't trust this system. Right. You need me to be on the edge before you can show me the path away from the edge. Like, okay. It's like, no, no, keep going. I'll let you know when you're close. Like, yeah. <laughs> just trust me. Keep your eyes closed. I'll stop you. It's like, or yeah. <laughs> turn me around. Like, but, um, <laughs> how I feel it's like I'm not sure I want to keep going towards this but she oh. did say um 
she, she the way she was telling me because I was concerned because I was like this is new behavior I'm noticing I'm trying to stop before it gets mm-hmm. wild and she was just like oh well you know it's okay sometimes like it's just a nervous thing and as long as she's like is it getting in the way of your day I was like what day <laughs> <laughs> I don't know like I can't tell you if I would have left uh, a party to, to go do this because I'm not right. allowed to go to parties so I don't know but she the, the wild thing is when I I have a psychiatrist because I you know I'm on ADHD medication and I recently started antidepressants and when I was explaining this to her and was like is this because of the meds or this and she's like no but she was like actually what we would use to treat that is um also Prozac so she's like so maybe just keep taking it and they also told me Prozac is for um like they're like for PTSD because I was like do I have PTSD or depression she's like it doesn't really matter we prescribe the same things (laughs) I'm like, what? okay, but then don't you see how when you're trying to make a big deal about how they're different and then you end up prescribing the same things, don't you see how that <laughs> makes no sense? Um, and they're just like, well, I guess. Because they really do. Like, I, It was so hard yeah. to get my ADHD diagnosis even though I knew I had it because my identical twin sister has it mm-hmm. because um, I had anxiety and they're comorbid, but people – like, I guess the law is because I think a lot of people fake ADHD to get Adderall. There's just all these restrictions. So if you show any signs of other um, uh, problems, which commonly a lot of mental illness brings on anxiety and depression, yeah. they won't, they have to cure your anxiety before. So I had to basically, I was kind of told, implied by the doctors that were like, this is why you're not getting this, but we do think you have ADHD. So kind of like not in a wink, like, Come back when you've, wink, wink, cured your depression. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. But then then at the end, it's still the same treatment. So then you're like, why did you guys make a big deal out of this if the end thing was the same? (laughs) It's such a fucking mess. Such uh, a mess. I don't know. Okay. I do want to ask this and then we'll get into the confession. But I'm glad this conversation is flowing so smooth that I don't, (laughs) that the transitions I don't even have to do because we're already talking about therapy. But this podcast was kind of, for me, inspired by going to therapy because I went so late in life and it's really like opened up, um, giving me power to like take my mental health in my own hands. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, I ask everyone and everyone has different experiences, but what's your experience with therapy? Like, have you gone? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Or whatever you want to share, you know, if you're comfortable. Yeah. Um, okay. So I wouldn't, I say, I would say that I didn't go to therapy uh, until I was also an adult. I started going mm-hmm. to therapy maybe four years ago give or take um and it was because i was i was having panic attacks um Mm. on a regular basis the first time i had a panic attack i didn't know that's what it was Mm. and um where were you or uh, what was it like out in public no no no. i was at home i was in i was living in orlando at the time and i had just um i was a campaign manager and we had Mm. just lost our race Mm. um and this was like kind of like we're for Bush, right? You were pro Bush. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you were doing the Chad thing. Uh, what hanging Chads? The, the hanging Chads. Yeah, I was hanging out with Chads. Um, no, I... <laughs> no, wasn't that a thing I... in the Bush Gore election? Like that they, they yeah. couldn't count the hanging Chads or something like they that. They didn't count the hanging Chads. Oh it's like God. a whole punch that doesn't. Hanging go Chads does way. sound like a, a white supremacy rock group. Like <laughs> it's, it's like a punk rock yeah. neo Nazi. Yeah, no, I was I had just uh, managed and lost a state house race. um, And I had a panic attack. And I didn't know 
what that was mm. or anything. And so the next day I was like, I think I need to like go somewhere. Like I, I felt like I was going crazy. Mm. Um, and I, I tried to like check myself in somewhere mm. at, the, at like a local and they were like, no, we only deal with homeless populations. Go to this other place. And I was like, I can't afford that. And they're like, all right, that's a you issue. Wild. Um, because it's so- like they're treating like it's like. I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm, I'll have thoughts on that, but I want to hear the rest of your story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, like, I'm glad that, listen, I'm glad they're treating homeless populations. I just didn't qualify for there and the other place I couldn't afford. So I went home, um, didn't go to therapy, moved to California, still had these issues. So started going to therapy. Um, what do so you mean? After- like moving to a new place didn't change all the issues that <laughs> it's you had within? Like- my brain came with me and I hadn't planned for that wherever you Um, go there you are that's the one thing that my one of my best friends Irene from New York used to say to me and I was like I would get so annoyed but she's right but I was annoyed because I didn't want her to be right but that later I realized she was right because I was like when I move all of my problems will go away what was that no 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 no, Irene Irene Hartman also a stand-up but yeah Irene Ross is great too <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh I mean like it helped. It helped stave stuff off for a while and I was like, you know, working again and all this shit. But um yeah. So the move didn't didn't actually fix everything and so I started going to therapy. Um and then I don't know about you, but I reached a point where I was like, I think I'm doing okay and then I slowed <laughs> down uh until mm-hmm. like basically like and then I went part time and I was like, I don't have the money for this, I'm fine. Um and then I wasn't. And so Last year, I um, I was feeling suicidal, and so I did an intensive outpatient like treatment. IOP. Program. Oh my god. Okay, I wanted yeah. to hear more about this, but uh, but oh, I, oh, I have it, like a, that's it's this folds into my my therapist breaking up with me, which you sort of know the comedy version of it, but I know the comedy version, yeah. not the real version. Yeah. Um. No, but so I did the IOP, and it was um it was obviously like very difficult and very hard but like the end result is like the last year has felt like my healthiest year um and I feel like you know just like a lot more capable and a lot more secure in in so many things um and so it's one of those things where to your point right like you want to it it's almost like oh wow everybody should get to do this and not have to feel like they're about to fucking off themselves before they get there yeah um and how do we make these things like more accessible like the only reason I was able to do it is because my well with help from my mom and then my cousins and like aunts and uncles like we all Mm. like pooled money together to be able to do that you know and not everybody has that but that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that shouldn't be the requirement for people to have peace of mind which I think is where I'm at it's so it's like honestly the timing couldn't be better because like this year is such a shit show if I was in the headspace that I was at a year ago with like 2020 being what it is I don't know what that would have looked like for me, but and now it feels like, oh, it's a manageable thing that I can navigate and get through. Um, so I'm still in therapy as part of like, mm. you know, just, I would say as part of my continued recovery, but I do feel a lot healthier now. And so I'm, I'm a huge advocate for, for that. I know that some people feel like therapy is it for them. Like they hate talk mm. therapy or something, but I'm like, I, I don't know. It just, um, it's nice to have somebody who's holding you accountable who isn't just you because you can make mm. all sorts of excuses for yourself. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I'm a huge, huge proponent. I love that. I'm so glad that. that, um, that, I mean, I can, fe- I can feel like even though what you're talking about, it, I can feel like a positive energy, oh, which is good. Cause it's like, like, I think the reality is like, these things are hard talking about sad or hard things, uh, 
and being okay with it doesn't mean you're okay with being sad. It's just, but I can sense like you've done the work because it's, I think sometimes people get scared of negative uh, emotions because they're like, oh, I don't want to bring myself down. But if you acknowledge it and find the tools to move on, you're in the reality and the present. And I can sense that like you're not saying like everything is always good, but you're positive about how you approach it, which is really good. Um, The thing I want to ask about IOP, so because that real quick, this is so interesting and I think people will um, learn from it because I didn't even really know about IOPs. But when I tried to get my my therapist, the one that quote unquote broke up with me, but well, I'll tell you what happened. You'll see whether I'm right or not, but she, I was having a really bad panic breakdown uh, a few months ago in quarantine, which I still have now, but I treat them different. So at that time I was still so bad that I was suicidal and really like, I don't not suicidal. Like I want to do something, but like I could feel the thoughts. And I was like, also Mm -hmm. the other part of my brain that knew the warning signs was like, hey, we're heading here before we get too far, put some safety nets up. So I was like, all right, I, I, well, I still have functionality to like email or do things. How right. can I, even though it's hard, put um, a safety net out? So I was like, well, what would I tell myself if I was like my sister or best friend telling mm-hmm. me how I feel now and being honest, like, hey, I want to kill myself, all this. So then I was like, I think I wouldn't know what to do, but I would say the thing that didn't work is just going to therapy. So let's try the next thing up, which is an institution where someone could watch you. So that's why I was like, okay, let me email her and ask her for some recs. Like preemptively, I don't think I need to go today, but like, I don't know, will it be tomorrow? Months from now, I want a list so I can research. I emailed her over the weekend and she very concerned was like, do you know what you're asking? So I asked, I said, I want to do some research um, just to know what my options are. It wasn't like I need to go now, but I was like, do you have any institutions you recommend that maybe like inpatient treatment? Mm-hmm. And she was like, do you know what you're asking? Like, this is really serious. And then when I called her, she said, like, basically implied, like most people don't check themselves in. They get checked in. And she was like, you kind yeah, of have well, to be at that- a place of wanting to harm yourself now. And she was like, are you are you going to harm yourself now? And then I was like, uh, I don't want to. I feel like the point is to I'm like. There's thoughts, but I'm not at 99%. I'd love to stay at 30% and go down to 0%. And it was so yeah. weird. Like, I understand the liability, but based then the next week, she was like, I don't think I can treat you. I don't think I um, can give you what you need. So, and I think she Jesus. was triggered and maybe realized like, what, ha- what if I don't know how to help her and something happens and it'll be on me. So then she was like, but I can like help you find someone. And that was enough for me to be like, well, you don't really care. And I do have backup. So it's fine. Yeah. Like, how am I going to trust you to hand me off to someone if I can't trust you? So that was Damn. disappointing. That is, um, that feels bonkers to me. Like, I feel like if you're Let's say you're like, oh, I, I don't know if I can help this patient. The last thing to do is break up with them as they're like, hey, I think I might be heading towards a crisis. You should be like, hey, good luck with that. Yeah, um, she's never checked in, which is fine because I'm fine. But it was a thing where I was like, all right, don't let don't take this personally. But it was sad. But yeah. the next thing that happened was I, I went back to my old therapist and I and I, I told my psychiatrist about this and she brought up IOP. So that's why I was looking into it. And I did research and just none of them were affordable for me. I found one that really seemed to treat what I needed. And actually, they keep still calling me because I told them that I was looking into insurance, which I did. And insurance is still slow. And now they're seeing what they can do. And I'm like, nobody cares. But um, they keep calling me like, we're just following up. And I was like, 
bitch, I told you. I'll let you know. I'll let you <laughs> know. You don't. You you told you quoted me like seven thousand dollars. Like I'll let you know. Like I, I don't want. Like yes, if I wanted to do this, I would. Uh, I don't know if it's worth that much money. So it's now it's so fucking crazy because it's like, I think so. I started off looking at inpatient treatment programs because I very much was like, I just wanted to abdicate all responsibility. Yes, that's a feeling. You need to go back to the womb. It's almost like I want <laughs> mommy and daddy to watch me. I like, yeah. like I want to have the, but not in a, not like an asylum because that's the that's the bad like stereotypical Hollywood representation is like right. cold, but it's like. I want to be in like a warm bed with doctors all around, making sure I'm okay, feeding me soup. Like yeah. that's the feeling think, we should have when we're having breakdowns. But instead, they're like, go into this yeah, empty for me, room. It's just like I didn't want the responsibility of having to keep myself alive because it yeah. felt like I couldn't handle even that part. And, and that, that is you actually deep down saving yourself. That's the thing you have to realize. Like when you are willing to give up responsibility, it's because you're actually dom a part. Of, like there's so many voices in you, but the dom that's like, right. hey, hey, we're um, we're not equipped to go over that bumpy road, but we know who can. And that's you actually. That's in a weird way you knowing where your line is and being like, let me reach out before I get there. So yeah. that's good. But then people are like what do you mean if you have the ability to stop yourself then you just don't need any help and you're like no it's not even like well you know what's funny is that like I was very lucky so I told one of my friends mm. um that that was where I was at because I think um god we should we should do like a trigger warning at the top of this yeah episode. yeah okay. but, um, <laughs> but there was um there was a night where I like wrote the note and I like made the plans I was I had a little bit of money in savings and I was like I'm oh. gonna use that money to do x y and z um, and then I went to bed and then the next morning I was like, Oh, that's alarming. Um, so it was like, it's like, I got very, very, very close to a line. Um, and then I saw a friend the next day and I was like, Hey, there's this thing that I did. Mm. And what my friends did was I got like poor man's 5150. Um, I wasn't insured at the time, so they mm. weren't going to like put me in an institution, but they were like, all right, you're just not allowed to be by yourself for the next week. So like tonight you're sleeping at Ellen's and tomorrow oh, you're sleeping nice. at Taylor's. Um, and it was really sweet. And that kind of that kept me afloat until my mom got here. Um, and then I was just with my mom while we were researching. Um, well, my, again, my, my friends and my mom just like really being there for me and my family in a real way of like, Oh yeah, I don't have like, I've, I've ceased to function. Um, you know? And, and so they were like, yeah, we could, we can help you with these parts. And, um, some of those parts until we found that outpatient program. And it was one of those things where we started with an inpatient one, that we were looking at and then we were like, oh, an inpatient program for like a month is something like $70,000 or like $48,000 if you're lucky. Mm. Uh, I if think you're lucky. And it goes on. It's like everyone warns you not to be, which is stupid because if you want to get better, but they're like, you know, it's going to be really bad. Like implying like on your record, it's not good. Like, and you're like, yeah. And you're like, that should show you that I'm fucking responsible yes, if I did this that's myself. That's the fucking thing. If you actually, it's like having a grad school degree. And then being like, oh, now we know you went to school. It's like, yeah, bitch, I graduated. <laughs> I feel like you can't, just because you've never been institutionalized doesn't mean you're not struggling with mental illness. In fact, I feel like if you really want to be like, I'm not struggling, then you got to have been institutionalized and got out soon. <laughs> you got to be like, I was in and out in two days. Okay. I don't need, I don't want to hear this. Like, I don't, I, I'm sick of people using that to discredit, especially uh, victims of sexual assault. They'll be like, blah, blah, blah was 
uh, has an yeah. uh, institutionalized record, so they are crazy. It's like, or maybe having surviving surviving assault can cause long long uh, standing damages Trauma. that you have to treat. Uh, maybe that, and maybe this is a responsible <laughs> person who treated it. Maybe that. I don't know. Sorry, yeah. I'm starting to cry. Think uh, hearing you, and I had to come back from the edge. Oh, no. no, 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 no. I'm <laughs> really, um, yeah, no, I'm really uh, uh, grateful that you're sharing this, and I think a lot of people can relate. And you're not, yeah. you're not the first person who's talking about this on this pod, so don't don't worry too much. We'll, we'll put a warning up, but um, don't worry in terms of um, like strain from any any topic, because I think this is really okay. important to talk about. So. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think, you know, like I said, it's just a matter of like, I just, I wouldn't know the first thing about making it more accessible. Cause I just felt like such a difference of not only coming out of that program, but, you know, recovering from all of that. And just like, there's, I just feel so calm most mm. of the time. Granted, um, you know, there are still like, there's still the mm. occasional panic attack. And then there are still days where I'm like, oh, getting out of bed is hard. And, um, all these things, but just, I just feel like my baseline is so much more secure and it feels like such a stronger foundation that it's so frustrating to me that everybody can't have that. Um, and that the reason everybody can't have that is, uh, fucking money. Um, uh, yeah. at the end of it, you know, Damn. um, but I guess if you do have the beans and the resources, I mean, that, that's part of the reason why I'm like, yeah, therapy, Fucking do it. And if you want like a, an intensive, mm. um, you know, think of it as like a language immersion program for your brain. Um, I like so that. For your life, it you is know? language. That's how I've been seeing it is the more that I've, that I've been doing, I haven't been able to get into IOP, but the intense trauma therapy I'm doing, I'm like, I feel like I'm doing my own IOP. Like I, it's like I built my own major of, cause it's how I feel. Cause when they explain yeah. to me like how the days are at IOPs, I was like, group therapy, trauma therapy, talk therapy. I'm like, I've done this. This is all stuff. I last year at one point I had four therapists and people, and then one of them got mad when I told her, she's like, that's not okay. You're not supposed to do that. But I was like, but you guys all have different skills and you're not, not all good at treating all the things. So either you guys all get together. <laughs> she got mad at you? This is the same one that broke things up, but she did EMDR yeah. really well. So I don't like what she did and that I needed, I got, but I was very upfront with her, which is like, I need this from you. And yeah. I think that's not how she's used to doing things. But again, the way people do things doesn't always work. So yeah. I'd love no, for it to my, work, but it's so far, it seems like when I try to give into the system, it doesn't. But you said um, the idea of like, yeah, when people who are scared and I also want to just take a moment and, uh, and not dismiss that because a lot of people do have bad experience with therapists. Not all therapists are great. It's not an end right. all be all solution. I think the real key to going helping is just the fact that you're open to getting help. So once you start that path, even if it's not therapy for you, don't shut the door of help. Be like, what's the next, like, if that's not good, what's another thing that will help? Cause I think really it's the openness to getting help to like you telling your friend, which is really hard to do, but yeah. you cared enough about yourself in that moment to be like, I'm going to tell my friend, even though sometimes we're scared of the reaction if you truly know like if you had a you know baby yeah. a helpless baby and you were the only thing that could save the baby and you're embarrassed to ask someone but you knew you were the only person that could save the baby you would ask right yeah. so that's how yeah. we should think of ourselves when we're helpless yeah i think that's totally fair and i think the other thing you know and it was funny because or not funny but like i remember <laughs> having conversations with my mom afterwards and she was like kind of like how did we get here how did we not know um, and oh. I was like, well, I don't know. I think like all my friends are depressed. So whenever 
like it's good to normalize talking about depression, but I think some of the ways that we do that um, are kind of like a disservice to the gravity of the conversations that we're having, right? Yes. So it's like, um, are you talking about more I, like the way co- comedians talk about it? Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, or like even yeah, I would say probably probably comedians more specifically, but I think also people in general. Um, like for example like suicidal ideation right like we're like i think a very common one that people have is like oh hey what if i just got hit by a bus right now then i could just take a break for a few weeks in a hospital and nobody would be mad at me because i got Mm. hit by a bus or whatever it is um and i feel like it's common yeah and so people think that because it's common it you don't have to worry about it and I'm like, mm. sure, but diabetes is also common yes. and we should worry about it. Like, you know what I mean? And so there's this like, I think it's hard for, or at least for me, it was hard for me to know where that line was of like, oh, this is alarming. And this is just like a thing that happens to people. Um, yeah. you The way you talked it when you said that bus thing, I was like, uh, if someone said that, I'd be like, that's a cry for help. Like whether, but, yeah. but at a, if, you know, there are boundaries, right? If it's a stranger, I don't know. Sometimes you feel like they're truly reaching out to you. Sometimes you're like, there's boundaries. Like for me, I'll make jokes that I'm like, yeah, some of them are probably cries for help. But it's like most of the jokes I've like thought of during the cry for help and I'm responsible enough to get the help and then make the joke. So then I'm like, maybe this will help someone else. But I, I don't yeah. need a hundred mentions saying, are you okay? But that is nice. Okay. I'm not saying don't do, I'm never shaming you for it, <laughs> but like I, I'm doing my best to actually like do the work behind the jokes. Um, so yeah. that, but that's the stuff nobody can help you with. You have to know, cause you can, might be rewarded just making jokes all the time and never getting help. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. But not because you're not getting help. Cause now I've realized, Hey, I can still make these jokes, but first I got to process yeah. it. Um, yeah, man, this is such a good talk. I do want to get into our confession, yeah. but, um, I want to, oh, or do you, I mean, this might be the one, I don't know. Well, let's, I want to kind of like honor, um, what you had prepared and I think it'll tie back. But just kind of to wrap up the, or like transition to the next part, um, I when you told me your story about the friends fifty one fifteen you, I feel like yeah. that's the feeling sometimes when I'm depressed and I imagine a lot of people in quarantine feel isolated. Um, feel is needing community support and family and almost like this like like a feeling of love basically, right? Like. In a way, like an infantile status, uh, stasis, wow, I forget English, an infantile (laughs) stage, a stage Stage, where you're feeling paralyzed, like kind of like a baby who's like, ah, this is hard. This is new. Somebody like swaddle me and take me. But we know we're not really supposed to ask for that. Uh, But why not? Right. So then your friends, it's not like friends who help you are also like, I'm all good. Like it has to come from a place of like peer community, not. I'm holier than you. So that's yeah. why, like, go- going back to you talking about the ho- uh, homeless shelter that said you couldn't come in because you're not homeless. To me, like, that's another uh, two extreme layer of being helpful where I'm like, you missed the point because the point of having, like, opening something like that is like, yes, the idea is like, let's treat the most needy first. That's probably why they have that rule. But the rule's mm-hmm. there to treat the needy, not because we shouldn't treat people in the middle. And if I ran a place like that and someone came up and was like, I really have no resources, I can't go to this, I would say, oh, wow, okay, let's look at this case by case. Cause, but I just think we've gotten so lost in yeah. um, these rules that we forget why. Because that's wild that 
in order to get help, you have to be so much worse off. To me, that feels like um, someone who wants to feel better. Like that person doesn't see that homeless person as an equal. They see themselves as doing just straight up charity work. And that's why when Mm -hmm. you come in, in a weird way, they see you as the equal, but they couldn't see themselves ever checking in. So that's why they're like, you don't belong here. You can go get care. And I'm like, that's already wrong. If we care about our community, the top and the bottom should feel like brothers and sisters, you know, like you should at one point feel like, oh, if I was on the other side, this experience would be okay too. But I don't know if that's how a lot of like classist uh, philanthropy doesn't feel that way. Like, all the big galas where they raise money, I don't see a single person there that's actually going to receive the money. Like, they don't actually want to socialize. They just want to feel good. Yeah, you know what's really funny is I never actually really thought about that moment very much until you brought it up. Um, or it was like, oh, yeah, I went to this first place, didn't work. Blah, blah, blah. I, I, and ever, I never really, I think because there was so much else there, I never thought critically about the implications of, like, uh why I was being turned away or or anything like that so that's interesting I yeah it's it's tricky because um I understand rules being in place so they don't get abused but it it is a thing where I think we always have to be a little bit there needs to be a leeway for humans you know like what what's the human behind this because I I mean you're from the bay and so you've seen this I've talked about this on the pod a lot because I'm from the bay and specific type of Bay Area white person, or let's Asian people too, okay? I come for the white people a lot, but there's a lot of Bay Area Asians like this. <laughs> Just um, wealthy, well-educated, left-leaning, um, but then they'll still complain about homeless people on their street, or they'll be like, um, like the the way they talk, right? And I, I, right. I, I, I like to, I think unsheltered is a more respectable term, but I think in San Francisco, the way people talk about um, yes. unhoused or unsheltered people, they're still referring to them in this like old... 90s way where it's like like I'll ha- I've heard friends from high school talk about um homeless people in the way where it's like oh like oh I saw there was a homeless person here like it's like that implies an image right but what does that mean just someone without a house right if I didn't have a house would they call me a homeless person no because I'm going to all their social events so whenever they say that I'm like so your neighbor you're saying that you walked by your neighbor and they were struggling and you didn't do anything that's wild like that's how i'm trying to think about it now because it's like they live there and you live there that's literally your neighbor and yeah does i don't mean you have to open your door to everyone that's very tough i I understand right because i hate arguments where it's like so what i'm just supposed to no you don't have to do anything i'm just trying to let you see like like humanize the person that you're walking past uh yeah yeah you could yeah it's uh, yeah because then it's like we always think oh we have these safety nets but when I think I'm like, oh, if I ended up on the street for a long time, someone would see. But then there's so many times you walk by like people in L.A. in um, tents and you don't see it's because yeah. you don't want to see. Right. Like I'm not saying stare like there's a you know, the healthy balance. Right. Like, <laughs> yes, people don't want to be stared at. But there's a have noticed people will be uncomfortable. I've noticed it in myself, too. Like I'll admit to that. And I actively now ask myself when that's happening like what is it about the situation is it because I'm alone by myself and there's people and or is it because the idea of someone living on the street is making me like you have to check in because there are times when it could be dangerous I'm not saying like walk around by yourself but there are times when you're like oh I it's broad daylight and I cross the street because something about walking by this person sleeping here felt weird and 
that I think we have to check in with ourselves more because then I'm like, if I was sleeping on the street, what it could just be like that. It'd just be oh, day after day. You you think someone would notice that you need help, but then mm-hmm. just keep walking by. I don't know. It's just an interesting yeah. thought to be like, this is a person. This is me. Yeah. You know? Especially because I, I mean, so as you pointed out, I'm in Oakland, um, but uh, on and around my block, like there are a bunch of, um, there's like, like uh, around the corner, there's an encampment. But even outside of that, there are, there are people who like I regularly see, mm-hmm. right? And like, especially if you have a routine. So like I would go to work, I'd come back from work and then like every day, okay, this is Terry. Terry sits mm. um, by this planner from like four to seven every day and then he goes to his tent and then like okay there's there's this lady who usually asks to use the phone and I don't usually have a phone but I could like go to this donut shop that I usually go to and like pick up a banana or like Mm. an extra muffin or something see if she wants it half the time she doesn't Mm. I don't know it's just like I think like you said it's a matter of like not seeing folks as like a a blemish for lack of a yeah. better term right and just being like no this is this is another fucking person yeah um, and not a burden either because i think this is where people overdo it is when it's this idea that i have to help people in need and it's like no you it's just nice to be a good person and you don't have to do anything like nobody's like i don't know it's so hard to say because it's like yeah i don't want to shit on people oh like if you're using your guilt to do a lot of good like fine keep doing it but at some point you should also address your guilt like i'm not saying st- stop spending tons of money on like on philanthropy if you're one of those guilty rich people but I am saying with that money put a little bit of of it towards therapy addressing your guilt because even if you're causing good in the world and you have children and you've got that guilt I mean it's going to come out in other ways so like end the cycle like deal with that (laughs) guilt like go to therapy that is the lesson for today (laughs) oh my gosh I know we've I really like this conversation okay but I want to I know I think this your confession tie will tie to this because it's such a big thing but I know you prepared a confession and Dom I'm dying to know is there something you want to tell me I want more from Democrats (laughs) I think it's very I think it's very simple um Uh and so I think a part of this is that like or the reason why it's a confession for me is it because it's an uncommon feeling but Mm. um I uh, my first job out of college was working for the Florida Democratic Party Mm -hmm. um and I spent the six or seven years that I was living in Orlando working exclusively for Democrats I was campaigning uh, you know I was a legislative aide I was a campaign manager I was doing um youth engagement for Mm. the party I was what like, did you study in school? Is this what you wanted? What did you want to go in politics? I kind of fell into it. I, I, my declared major was sociology and eventually yeah. I went to the political science department and I was like, listen, <laughs> each of these campaigns should count as class credit. Thank ah, you very much. Um, yes. Know your worth. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a state school. So they're like, yeah, fuck it. I love that. Um, Cause it's true. You're, that's when you're not taking advantage of a situation. You're just like, I'm going to do this anyways, and I recognize the truth, which is the value I'm getting and adding. So give me what I deserve. And they're like, yeah, I can't argue with that. Can't argue with the truth. Yeah, they did put a cap. After my third campaign, they were like, you've already done this three times. you got to go to a fucking classroom. And I was like, I guess. That's um, funny. So, but, but you have to uh, pay for credits, right? So in a way, you pay to work. That's why I, I was like, was internships not... are such a scam. Because half of the ones I did, I'm like, I paid NYU tuition to do this. <laughs> yeah, Free internship. <laughs> It was one, of, yeah. It's oh. it's one of those things where again, it speaks to privilege, right? I went to, uh, <laughs> I got to, I got to go to a state school on a 
state scholarship and mm, uh, it was a combination of state scholarship, <laughs> help from my mom, and then I was also working part-time. Mm. And so those three things together allowed me to do unpaid internships. By the third time, I was hired, but I didn't tell mm. my school that. Um, that's so funny. So you're in, but, that's great. You got the, that's exactly what you want is to get the job before you graduate. <laughs> You, I'm yeah. so surprised you, I know you recently had, when we had Jenny Yang on the show, you um, just met her. I'm so surprised you didn't know her before because she has such a similar <laughs> background. She was doing politics for so long. Like She was like actively had a career in politics before she did comedy, but. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, it's one of those things where I think it's probably just because like she's in LA and I'm in the Bay, um, but we sure. do have so many friends in common. I've like seen, I think I've, like we've probably met in passing, maybe. Mm -mm. Um, but yeah, all the politics that I worked was in Florida. And so it was like a mix of campaign trail, the state house, mm. mayoral races, Senate races, gubernatorial races, all that shit. Um, and so when you're in it that deep, there's this um, commitment to the long term, mm -hmm. right? And then there's this commitment to incremental change. Uh, mm. And especially because a state like Florida, where Republicans have the supermajority. You're used to making concessions with yeah. the idea that like it'll pay off long term, mm -hmm. and this idea that like oh we're not happy with this now, but it gives us the opportunity to get something that we will be happy mm. with in the future. Um, and I just you know, um, and so obviously when I left the party and when I left politics and moved out here and was like, I work nonprofits now. Fuck everybody. Um, <laughs> also a very I, rewarding. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, it is rewarding to say, but I know I know enough about nonprofits to know that oftentimes there's a lot of politics involved that are not. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> um, but so um, so the end result is that like when Democrats do things that I hate, I'm usually pretty quiet about it out of mm. kind of respect for the number of friends that I have who are still doing that work. Like they're still campaigning. Maybe they're not campaigning for a candidate. Maybe they're working for a political action committee. Maybe they're working for the DNC um, mm. or like swing left or, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Democratic gain, whatever it is. Um, and so I'm usually pretty mum mm -hmm. about what Dems aren't doing. Mm. Uh, again, out of kind of, but it's like, it's just, they're now doing so little. Uh, and, <sighs> and so this is kind of, this month has probably been the month where I've been yelling about it the most, yelling, air quotes yeah. around yelling, tweeting about it um, the most. And and just like, you know, we should demand more. And, and it's something, yes. it's one of those things where, I, okay, so I saw a tweet about it earlier today where somebody was like, listen, Republicans do all these terrible things. You know, why, why should we hold Democrats to a higher standard and not Republicans? And I'm like, literally, what are you talking about? You're talking about like, why are we asking <laughs> Like the bar is so low, the bar is so low. And so if you're like, hey, Democrats should be better than Nazis, that's not the same as like, hey, Democrats should be good. Yes, um, oh my God, that's such a good way of putting it. Not doing bad, it does not equal good. The way yeah, you talked about so it, I ha can't help but everything, <laughs> I feel like for me, the only way I can relate, because I feel like I, I'm still learning, eventually I'll relate community-wise, but I didn't have good necessarily role models of love. But when you said, um when Democrats do something I hate, I'm quiet about it. I'm like, that's how I am in, in my past relationships. <laughs> Not now. I'm really actively doing the work, but it used to, uh, you know, many 20s relationship that are just like, the long run is if we get married, I don't want to be whiny about it, but it's like, 
Or you probably shouldn't marry the person who is this rude to you or negates you or <laughs> puts you down, you know, makes fun of your body. Like, it's like, no, 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 but I'll overlook that because this is love and I want love. And you're like, mm, I don't know. I think there's you know, something better out there. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those things where, like, I knew even when I was working for the party, I knew I was like a little further, a little further. I was farther left by a lot than the party. Um, but it was something that I like. You know, it's like you don't speak ill of Democrats during an election year because it could sway a vote or two or however many. You wait till they're in office and then you can mm. have these conversations about them. And I'm like, no, because here's the thing. If you can't have a conversation while you're running, yeah. then what yes. motivation you do you have to have that conversation once you get yes. what you've been elected to do? Like you should be able to move and adjust as we're going. Fuck you. Um, that is a good way of putting it because when you talk about um, saving it for later, for the long run, what you're talking about is ignoring the truth. But there's people like me and you who are like, yeah, no, fuck, I'm going to, of course, I'm going to vote Biden over Trump. But we recognize the truth, right? So it's like, why do we, th why are we babying other people and thinking they can't handle it? That yeah. if there are bad things that are true, let's talk about that and talk about the good and trust that other people are like us and they'll go, I see both and um, I'm glad that you're honest and I also see that it's not perfect but it's just like you I've come to the conclusion this is the better choice like yeah. why not because then we're all at that point then we'd all be starting from a place of truth versus having to then like you said elect someone and go oh just kidding so this is actually what we think like <laughs> yeah. that's stupid that's gonna feel even more manipulative on both sides the republicans will then be like see and then the democrats will be like you tricked me so why not elect someone knowing all the bad and then being like yeah we know we're gonna fix it yeah and i think we should just i, I don't know i feel like i think part of the other part of the other frustration is that of that is that like there are people, there's this idea of like, we should just be better than Republicans. And then by default, that means that we're good. And I'm like, yeah. mm, I think you misunderstand what that means. And I think a lot of it comes from, I don't know. I Listen, I'm no longer an academic. So I feel like I, I lose a lot of the, uh, the It's all good. I bullshit terms all the time, but you know the uh, ideas. Yeah, but I think, Okay, here's here's an example, right? So, like, mm. and I, I feel like this has been talked about a lot, but in in 2016, when when Trump entered the Republican primary, and everybody was like, oh, well, well, and a couple of us were like, um, hey, I think this is a problem, and yeah. then he wins the nomination, and people are like, oh, it's a slam dunk, and I'm like, literally, he won the nomination. What do you think that means? You know, and so yeah, they're not seeing the truth. The signs are, he's literally said, like, it's not people, I, it's weird that there's still people arguing, like, is he going to leave when, um, if he doesn't get elected? It's like, no, why would you ever think that? He's already gone on TV and said, if I win, if I don't, then they might have to take me by force. And it's like, yeah, he's telling you. I, I don't, there's not, a <laughs> like, at what point yeah. don't you see that he's just telling you what he's going to do and he's going to do it? So uh, what and part of that don't you understand? <laughs> And it's so frustrating because then it's like people want like, and I and I and I think especially so I don't know when when you're going to release this episode, but for anybody who's listening, um, the ruling out of Louisville for Breonna Taylor's case came out let's say like 72 hours ago. It came out mm. Wednesday, today, Saturday. Um, but so I think what happens is that part of the disconnect is that there is this 
and especially from white liberals, there's this assumption of solidarity. Mm. Um, and I'm like, no, I don't think like, especially, okay. Example, Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies. And I feel like there's a, there's a whole slew of tweets that I'm seeing and a lot of reactions that I'm seeing online from people who are like, Oh great. Now women are second class citizens. Um, and I, I feel like most of that is coming from like white women, sometimes white comedians, white reporters, white, whomever, mm -hmm. usually with white women who are like, now we are second class citizens. And it's like, <laughs> yes. Okay. I <laughs> and know. Then, and then yeah. they do like a little nudge, like right Dom. And I'm like, I feel like if somebody killed you, they'd go to jail. I don't, I mean, I don't, you know, literally in the Breonna Taylor case, the one cop that got, um, indicted was, um, because he shot into another apartment where a white woman was and endangered their baby. Yes. Like that, I knew, yes. like they didn't say she was white, but in the, uh, when I listened to the, I listened to the daily, which I actually really hated the episode they did. And it's kind of, I don't want to listen to them anymore. Cause for a while I've been like, New York times is being compromised for sure. They are because they reported very much like apologists for the cops in a way where if I hadn't read or heard anything else, they, they just didn't say all the facts and they did it in a way that yeah. seemed like they were saying all the facts like, well, we understand why people are frustrated, but isn't it true that this, but yeah, it was, they didn't say mm -hmm. she was white, but the way they were reporting, I was like, I think she's white. So I looked it up, but they were like a couple with their baby was in another apartment. And that's why I'm like, mm, what was this couple? like? Yeah. And I, and I should look up the scholar, but there's a scholar who was like, Hey, a better way to understand the American legal system is that it was built to protect white women yes. specifically um and you know and like so yes like anti-abortion laws fucking suck um and there are all these things uh that do affect all women but there's this caveat and i just feel like mm. even now i'm having a hard time or, or i'm not seeing white liberals address this caveat they're like trying i feel like people are really trying but I'm also like very much done giving people an A for attempt. Um, Cause I think that's how we like, right. That's how we like landed in yes. 2016. We're like, Oh, you tried. I can see how you tried. And now I'm like, fuck you get it right. Or get out of the way. Um, yeah. That's, I like that you put it into gray's terms because that is how my love language um, is a plus. <laughs> uh, no, but the reality is like, as much as I hated getting bad grades, like B's or whatever here and there, like I was like very much like, I need to get straight A's. I need to get straight A's. But if I dip below, like my, I off my average in school was around like 91, 92. If, and then like a real, real home, home uh, stretch finish to pull back up to 95, 96 to still get an A. But that to me is like, I worked harder at the end. It's not a surprise. It's not a surprise. Like the Warriors always pull out fourth quarter wins. I mean, okay, <laughs> like, you know what? Times are different now. Okay. I don't blame the Warriors poor playing on them. It's 2020. Okay. You know, they're all dealing with a lot, but you know, in the Warriors in their prime, um, you pull ahead because you see the score. It's, yeah. it does affect you to know that you're not there yet. And it's not bad because you can get there. And I feel like, like you said, giving an A for attempt, why not give the white liberals who want to be good the C and be like, hey, um, here's your grade. It's a C. Keep going. <laughs> and then they'll be like, oh, shit. Okay. Okay. I'll keep going. It's not say even an F, like you can fix it. Yeah. Extra credit. Like you're not a failure. You just failed this test. So keep going. Um, but then when we're like, you did it. Great. That's, well, that's all they can do. Yeah. Like you're just kind of shortchanging them and yourself because then you're saying it's like faking orgasms don't ever do that because then you'll never get there we're just faking orgasms with 
white people who don't oh my god yes that's exactly it and it's one of those things where like i i love that i haven't figured out a way to talk about it without getting like like this energy right now which yeah. is that's okay um, i feel it too i no, do no, that no. i'm like i have white friends and that i like them they're great <laughs> i'm putting a cap um i, no, I <laughs> don't cancel me <laughs> <laughs> Half the internet thinks I'm like, white because Asian people don't exist. Ooh, it's congrats. so not really. Um, no, it's one of those things where, like, I feel like I wish I could joke about it. I think is what I yeah. mean by, like, oh, this is the energy that I bring to it. Because there are some people who do it so beautifully. Like, Nori Davis. Like, Nori mm. Davis can, like, when we had him on mm. CQ, um, and it was just so fucking brilliant the way he's able to, like, bring his heart into it, paint a picture that's so queer for people and still have it be funny. Whereas like, here's, here's a joke that I don't tell anymore because people don't like it. Um, but I used to tell people, um, and this is probably because I, it should be rewritten, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) the joke, air quotes around joke that I would tell people was just because you didn't drag a black person behind a pickup truck today doesn't mean you're not racist. Um, and, I enjoy that. I feel like that lets you know what's up. It makes people very uncomfortable. There's mm. a very vivid, vivid imagery yeah. there, so I get it. Um, Do you, when you say it makes people uncomfortable, are you talking about white people? I'm talking about white people. Okay. Every black person I said this to, <laughs> but because um. <laughs> that's the like, vibe I got. We're like, people don't like it. I'm like, are they white, white people? people. I'm just trying to be nice. But and then right, white people go, you can't say that. That's racist to say all white people don't. It's like, yeah, but. It's not. It's because but, but you didn't laugh you at think it, though, that because you're. Um, no, it's, <laughs> yeah, if you don't laugh at my jokes, you're racist. This just in. Um, <laughs> if you don't, are if you're not in love with me, you're homophobic and racist and anti-twins. Okay, we're canceling you for not being in love with me. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's it, it, yeah. It all just kind of falls together of like yeah. I don't feel solidarity within like mm. the this liberal movement whatever you want to call it um and it's and it's yeah it's it starts i think huh. that's what i mean by like wanting more from democrats it's not just democrats but i think it's just like culturally speaking yes. people who think that they're doing enough and it's like you're not even close i have uh, oh my gosh you saw so many thoughts on this i was literally just talking about this last night like um, profusely until i fell asleep but i that sentiment i think the part where you say that it makes them uncomfortable. I think that's uh, good. I don't think because it should be uncomfortable because it is uncomfortable. And I think that's the part people keep wanting to skip over is um, they want to like leap over the hot coals to the rainbow pot of gold or whatever uh, stupid metaphor that I'm (laughs) not, is not clear. You know, they want to go through the fire, go past the dragon without slaying it and get they the They want to get to the championship game without going through the playoffs. Yes. There you go. That's great because um, sports to woman talking You brought the Warriors into it if we had to. <laughs> That's just, that should be a podcast that neither of us are qualified to have. Two gay women talking about sports. Um, but it made me think of, okay, so one image that popped up is like, uh, like let's say you know, my mom used to tell there's a Chinese proverb called uh three monks have no water to drink and the idea is like two monks can one monk has to carry the water all the way up at the hill to get to the well and come down or whatever um all by yourself so that's a lot of work but you know you'll drink water two monks oh you could split it every other you'll be able to you know do half the work 
three months, nobody does the work. That's the, that's the idea because everyone's like, someone else will do it. And uh-huh. that's kind of how it feels like we're like using a carrying um, metaphor of like, let's say we're carrying a heavy load um, and walking, like, I don't know, let's, we got to move this giant boulder to the other side of town. And it feels like for a long time, all the white people were partying and not lifting the boulder. And they didn't know the boulder was being lifted by a lot of people. Like a lot of PLC people were like lifting the boulder, right? To different degrees. Maybe some people had to work harder than others. But ultimately, the goal is for progress to move this metaphorical boulder. And then white people were like, oh, my God, there's a boulder. So then they showed up. They're like, I'm going to help. And then they put their hands on it. And all of a sudden, (laughs) it's like, oh, a bunch of white people are going to help. That's great. Maybe I can let go and take a little break. And then yeah. we let go and they're like, oh, it's too heavy. It's so heavy. <laughs> Why is it so heavy? Oh. oh, can we just go? Let's all, everyone help, everyone get in. We're all together. Stop fighting and help me lift this boulder. The sooner you help me, the sooner I'll move the boulder. And you're like, yeah, bitch, we've been moving the boulder. <laughs> you guys move the boulder for a second. Like, but that's the feeling. It's like, stop fighting until we get there. Stop fighting because it's hard. It's too hard. And it's like, yeah it is hard it's hard okay it's hard and we're fighting let us fight and let it be hard and help and yeah yeah and especially because like i mean this week it was um you know we, we chatted on wednesday a bit like i'm i was i was so out of it uh wednesday and and a lot of yeah thursday too but it's also like I think the other thing that's happening simultaneously is this conversation about, um, you know, like hope doesn't mean blind optimism and like, what does it mean to be tired and to take care of yourself as a person of color and as a black person, as you, as we navigate this, um, you know, and for me, it's like, you know, I used to campaign now I've stepped back from that sort of work. And so I support at a distance and Mm. what does that look like? Um, and I don't know. I think it, like you said, it's this idea of like sharing the weight and sharing that burden. Um, I think I, I tweeted something like, "Ugh, I'm so tired. Um, and Katrina Davis was really sweet. She was like, me too. I'm trying again tomorrow. Um, oh, that's sweet. And I think that's a great yeah. mentality. Oh, lost. Uh, the day's over. I'll try again tomorrow. Like you got to know when to go to sleep and then when to come back, go back yeah. and fight. Yeah. So I felt, I, I felt like that was, super helpful and just like a really just like a way to to um like for me it helped me like breathe that in like just take a breath and just like yeah I should have time to you know like we were grieving um and it's it's this weird thing where we're grieving very publicly Mm -hmm. and and um collectively Mm. um on top of of course like the added grief of like these lives lost to the pandemic and like the the added grief of like you know another one of us has been killed and and there's no justice, no justice. for her yeah. um and it doesn't feel like there are changes coming even though i know that there are people doing long-term work and and that kind of thing and so it's like this kind of um if you're not or for me i was like falling into this place where i was just like it, it just felt very like oh despair yeah Hopeless. kind of a vibe because you're like okay well I, you know historically marches worked in like the 60s and 70s we got you know the civil rights act but like what since then have marches yielded us you know i at least on a national level and so then my mind goes towards like maybe somebody should just like oh god we're gonna end up on a list (laughs) um my mind goes towards 
maybe somebody should just bomb every police station fucking from here to DC. And then I was like, oh, I'm in trouble now. I sorry, Teresa, now your podcast is on a list. No, um, no, but what you're talking about is this does okay, I saw we were tied back thematically and I didn't know how, but I here it is. This goes back to you uh, writing the note and then asking your friends or telling your friends that you did it. You can't, you, yeah. people are complex. You can be both suicidal and also want to live. And you yeah. can both want peace and feel angry and, and think I want to bomb the police station, but not actually do it. Like yeah. this is the equivalent of that, that I feel like scared white people don't see that we don't want violence and unrest and dismantling in a way that's hurtful, but we want to feel better and we want change. Right. And that's the writing the note. And then that's the telling your friends about the note and the friends are the white people who shouldn't, who should be like, fuck, you're right. Let me help. Instead of being like, no, 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 guys, stop, stop it. Dad. Stop it. It hurts. I don't want to lose you. You have so much to live for. It's like, yeah, bitch. Why do you think I told you? <laughs> no, 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 it gets better. Just hang in there. I'm sorry. I don't oh know why God. I'm doing this voice. It is hard for me to joke about this too, and sometimes I lean into characters. But no, it's totally fine. Did you see? Yeah. I don't know if you saw. There was a um, Ashley Ray. I think tweeted like somebody had a Ziploc bag of like a depression oh curing God. kit, and it was like <laughs> no, a but... marble for when you lose your marbles, oh and like God. a string to tie your life together after it oh falls apart. No, it was a bonkers. <laughs> Well, uh, oh, this was my other thought that was more serious, but I think I want to share it based on what you're saying, and it ties yeah. to this. It's, I, it, this, is the un- this is an uncomfortable truth that I don't know if everyone hearing this will agree with me, so feel free to, I want to hear your opinion, but I think that a lot of people who say they want change don't want the same type of change, right? So the reality is um, for a lot of white people, liberals okay and i don't even want to say liberals like it's one or the other again i don't believe in this binary republican democrat like we all within democrats we we need at least three more parties in my opinion but that is a yeah and whether or not different episode and i don't know for sure because that's how france does it and then they got marie le pen but so i'm not i personally don't necessarily agree or disagree i know what we have doesn't work but my point is a two-party system doesn't imply two part people fall into two mindsets it just Mm -hmm. implies that we picked a, a red rover side just because maybe like I'm here because my crush is here, but I don't like this girl, whatever. Point being, <laughs> I'm on this side, fine, but I'm not necessarily on your side. So, yeah. um, but okay, so the, my, my realization, I'm going to say white liberals, but you know what I mean. I don't mean all of you. I just mean there are people on the left. I mean all of you. Yes, so there are white <laughs> people. White, that's okay. There are white people on the left who say they don't want Trump, but they don't necessarily want the same thing as you. A lot of them are talk about 2016 like that was a day at change and before that things were good they live in this world where like hey let's go back to where things weren't this hard and um we didn't talk about race all this time because we weren't racist and it's like oh no 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 no, no. we weren't talking to you about race because we didn't trust you or think that you're an ally and when i say like the reality of being asian in america i've probably been on both sides you know like we kind of do weirdly get put because of this weird not being represented or categorized, we're sometimes very privileged and sometimes very oppressed, which then makes it very complicated to be accepted because like Asian people are notoriously racist against black people, but also Asian people notoriously shit on white people. So sometimes they, you get 
being like i'm more white i'm more black but it's like no you're asian but they don't recognize that so i i have to like mm. acknowledge that is a reality like asian people can be both uh, in a yeah. in a negative way but the truth is a lot of people want to quote unquote go back to when things were better and then a lot of people protesting now who are feeling like they have a voice to actually speak up about what's been bad are like things were not better it would not be right. successful to go back to 2008 2008 was a moment of like hope and change that things would get better but we're not right. trying to that's not the finish line like we're not trying to be like let's go back to obama and everything's great it's like let's go back to when obama was possible and then the next obama is possible and the next obama is possible right and so i think that's yeah. what the excitement of 2008 was right because it was like but for some people, yeah, I think it, it was we did it, and for others, it was like we're start we're gonna start the race. Yes, okay. It's like some yes. people are like we finished, we did it, and for some of us, like we're gonna to run a marathon. That. Yeah. So I, that's the reality. I think is uncomfortable is when I think the reason we have different tactics on the Democrat side is some white people think if we get through this, everything will be fine, and we'll win. So stop whining and get on board and then for a lot of other democrats who are more radical they're like oh to win we have to acknowledge that it's so bad so we're all taking this first step towards good together and the reality is like while we're fighting like i understand wanting to be like let's be united but but we're gonna clash down the road if we don't acknowledge these differences because we're gonna Absolutely. get to a point where quote unquote the democrats win and then all the radicals are like quote-unquote radicals i don't consider it radicals don't care about human, <laughs> human rights but all the people who were privileged and didn't feel it before are going to be like so it's good right you guys weren't complaining before can we go back to being fine like we weren't protesting before it's like yeah yeah we we weren't protesting before because we didn't feel like safe doing so and or we're gonna keep doing this until things <laughs> change to a point where you might not even like i think they need to open their eyes to be like you need to really open your eyes to understand what change looks like, which is like some of this privilege of white people feeling better than black people because they're helping or saying black lives mm -hmm. matter. Like really quality. You can't feel that. Like I'm, I'm glad they're out there helping, but that feeling of being better, like you can't feel that way. You, that's not, that's not the reality we're working towards of you f constantly feeling like you support and you're good. Like yeah. we're working towards a reality where everyone's equal. And one day, like this is far in the future, but in my idealism, like one day we are equal and there are white people who need help. And we are also like, we need to help the white people. That sounds so stupid. But I'm like, that <laughs> yeah. is equality is like at any day it could be like, oh my God, I have to help the white people. They're really struggling and not feel like that's funny. And so I'm like, it's funny right. now, but when that's not funny, that's when we're at equality because that's where we are now where you guys, white people feel good for helping like support mm -hmm. the black lives matter movement so and i think yeah. yeah and i think a lot of it also goes to like the specifics of like you said like before 26 uh before 2016 people weren't protesting yes they, I mean, they were though i mean i was protesting during Obama. like I, yeah, this was, like freddie like, gray like all this eric garner but it's like that was happening just some people we were, were not doing we were protesting. it <laughs> White people were not there, which we is, you know, I'm not saying which Obama is fine. Time. I'm just saying that there's like, like, welcome to the party, I guess. But like, this I is guess. Like, That's new. the slogan of uh, John, Joe Biden, I feel like. Yeah. Welcome, <laughs> it's I also guess. like wild because like, yeah, like Ferguson happened 
killed under Obama and Trayvon Martin was killed yeah. under Obama. And here's, okay, here's a perfect example. So I was working in the state house when um, George Zimmerman murdered Trayvon Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, or rather when, when he was, both when he was murdered and when he was acquitted and when George Zimmerman was acquitted. Um, and after he was acquitted, uh, because he was released on this idea of the stand your ground law, um, there was a question within the state house of whether or not we should have a special legislative session to specifically look at this law. Um, now the background of this law is that one of the authors of it was Rod Smith. Um, Mm. and that's only relevant because at the time that, um, in, in 2013, or I think this was Rod Smith was the chair of the democratic party of the Florida democratic Mm. party. So now the House caucus, sorry, this is going to get very like, no, this is good. This is good to explain this. Yeah, because I don't know. Yeah. So the House Democratic Caucus, which is in the super minority, they used to call them the fighting 39 because everybody needs a clever name. Um, So there are 39 Democrats in the House. The sex chicks, the the fighting 39. (laughs) All like (laughs) They wanted to feel like, and that's the other thing is that they always, I think people want to feel like superheroes and you're like, have these people or not have these people, but a lot of these guys are like, blue dog dems they're pro-life dems they're like you know don't want gun laws at all democrats like you know mm-hmm. so it's it's a it's a, a big tent uh mm. so the democratic caucus uh is now having this debate should we try and call for a special session and now this guy rod smith former state house representative current florida democratic party chair in 2013 is like you know there's nothing wrong with the law they just applied it the wrong way. I don't think we should have a special session. Oh, God. And so now even the Democrats in a state where this boy was killed are like, mm, I don't know if it was the law. I think we should. And now there's a debate. Should we even have a special session? Um, I lived in the district that was just south of where he was murdered. So it was um, so we were in House District 30. He was in House District uh, 31, maybe or 29. Mm-hmm. I can't remember now, but the point is, um, and, and so it was, it was obviously like a weird time. We were already in recess and we had to vote on whether or not, and the vote comes down or rather we get the email like, Hey, have your member fill this form out if they, yes or no, and then scan it back. And the other thing that's usual about at least the Florida house is that representatives tend to have aides who look like them. So <laughs> <laughs> I know you probably so meant that in a, like, um, like more like, racial background but i imagined um like the 101 dalmatians for a second where you literally like because maybe that's maybe that's i need to restructure the way i use language too because i do live in kind of childlike cartoon world where i recognize people are racist but i'm like when you say look like them, I'm like the like the round guy with the bald head has a small round lantern <laughs> with the bald head. Like not like oh he's white and he's white. Like and that's funnier to me. So if we want funnier world, I think we gotta get over. Because I, I laugh and then I had to yeah. be like oh that's not what she meant. It's, but then I had to explain. Like, <laughs> oh I do know what you mean. But my first when you said that, my first thought I was like ha ha they look like each other like in a in a cartoon way. But I don't think that's what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> No, for the most part, like the white reps had, or the white guy reps had white guy aides. Mm-hmm. A few of them had white women. Uh, the Jewish reps had Jewish aides. Mm-hmm. The black reps had black aides. Um, but what about their I, like hairstyle and their like co- like clothing choice? Like, was it matchy matchy? <laughs> what did they matchy matchy and plaid and? <laughs> it wasn't always matchy matchy. I feel like the vibe was usually matchy. Yeah. 
Um, but so um, my friend Aisha and I were the only two black aides who were working for white reps. Mm. Um, and so anyway, so all this to say, this vote comes down, this email comes down, and I'm like, oh, God, I, I don't know if I can still work here if my boss doesn't vote in support of the special session. Mm. And I kind of like didn't know what she was going to do. Turns out, I mean, as I learned later, my boss was like really far left. Um, so <laughs> for her, it was like non-issue. She just like voted yes, scanned that back. Cool. And I was like, thank fuck. Cause I don't know what I would have done. I mean, did I you tell her that? Been, uh, I did not. Uh, I didn't because of how much of a non-issue it was for her. I think part of it is, and I could go into all the reasons why I thought she was um, a really good lady, but she um, she used to teach in the town of Eatonville, mm. um, which if, ever you, if you've ever were, read The Our Eyes Were Watching God, that Zora Neale Hurston book, um, that's the town that that book takes place in. It's mm. the oldest black township, I think, in the country, um, but at least definitely in Florida. Um, and her district had the town of Eatonville. Um, and she, she, she just, I, I don't know, she was very mindful and intentional about mm. the way that she engaged with race and in a way that I haven't really encountered elsewhere in Florida, especially not among elected officials. Um, but by contrast, the guy to the north of us, which is the district where Trayvon Martin was actually slain, um, he voted no for that mm. special session. And um, I remember talking to Aisha about it and I was like, I don't know how you're dealing with it. And then there was another person who was like, mm you know, all the aides are talking and one of the, one of the white district aides was like, yeah, well, I mean, like he has a conservative district. Like if he wants to get reelected, he's got to do blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that is not the point. You know what I mean? Like the point is yeah. to lead and the point is to, anyway, he didn't yeah. get reelected. So it was like doubly stupid. It's like, um, if the point is to get reelected or is the point to do the job to make your um, constituent or whatever you call it, your district, the best version that you think is good for the future. Therefore, if it is the best, they will reelect you because you're doing a good job. Mm. It almost feels yeah, like that would be a good strategy to have. <laughs> I, but yeah, the reason I asked if you asked her too, because I, I, I probably wouldn't have either. I would have had a similar thought like you, like, oh, I hope she does. And if not, I'll just leave without saying. But the reason now I feel like I'm more inclined to speak up is because there's more white people being like, tell us, tell us. I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. I think you're not gonna really like all the stuff we're saying but like if you're actually trying to do the work it's like the asking for help it's like let's see because actually i could see yeah. someone trying to do the right thing not knowing and if they had an aid it sounded like she would have voted no matter what but i almost am like oh i kind of wish you told her after she voted too and be like you know if you ha like i was thinking this because that would reaffirm these positive choices that she's making yeah. in a way where she would probably be like yeah that's what i wanted to do but i'm really glad that you told me because that is how i want you to feel like you should like someone like that would probably feel like that's probably why she hired you she would want an aide who is would be like by my principles i like this job but i can't work for you and it mm -hmm. seems like you know preaching to the choir because she is like that but i think we need to keep um affirming each other with those choices that are true to ourselves and we'll find the right people to be around yeah i yes absolutely i I think so, 1,000%. And it's also, I think, I mean, there were a number of factors. I think I wasn't as, um, I was a lot more soft-spoken. Uh, no, I 100% would would have felt but... the same way. But now I'm looking <laughs> back being like, why? Because I didn't yeah. think I could change it. But like it. you said, it's like, who's willing to listen? And those were also moments when, like, that was, that was the first time, I think, that people started hearing Black Lives Matter as a rallying 
cry. Um, and I remember having to explain it to one of my coworkers in a way that I just wouldn't have the patience to do now. You know what I mean? She was like, so why, like, why, why is all lives matter a, a bad thing to say to black lives matter it is true. And then I'm like, oh, okay, we're going to spend the next 30 minutes doing this. Um, yeah. you know, and it, that's, it's just, sorry, I've gone off on a tangent. No, no, I'm just no, saying, this is actually it's wild. Yeah. Well, well, we're near the end, but I really do. Um, I don't think this is tangent. I think this is very relevant and even relevant to what we were talking about before, right? This idea of from the very beginning, when we're talking about like, like even the idea of like trying to avoid the cliff before you get there like I'm gonna um call back to what you're saying about this idea of the long term because I do talk about the long term a lot but I think I have a different approach to the long term than it sounds like a lot of centrist democrats have and that's why I'm like fundamentally I don't disagree about the long term I think we have different long terms in mind that's what I mean about like what is this goal that you're working towards I am working towards a goal where there's true equality and people see each other as people, which would then mean at some point, yes, it's funny, but we would have to be careful. Like when it's equal, but it's not yet when it's equal, you can't make white people jokes broadly, but it's not yet. Okay. So that's the importance, right? right? So I I don't, I think I'm never going to apologize right now for a white person joke, but I hope I, I hope we get to the point where they go through my tweets. (laughs) I hope, because if that's true and it's really true, like not just white people whining that they're being racist, if it's really true that white people are being oppressed, we have gone too far. Okay. So I really do hope they stop us there because there, it can move in both ways. So that's what I mean is like true equality is not, and any, we should be able to hand off the power at any moment and you're not afraid that oh shit like they're gonna get revenge because it should feel like we're all treating each other as family so yeah. i i believe in the long term but i do believe my long term might be different than some people i'm talking to and when i believe in the long term i believe in doing like what you're saying like quitting when i mean the fact that you thought that like you didn't have to because you made all the right choices to work with the right people but Quitting when um, it doesn't serve you. Uh, spe- speaking up to the party, even when you think it might hurt the election, because that's real long term. If we all were doing that, eventually that would be the main thing. So when people say, no, 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 don't, don't talk about that because the long term is like, so your long term is compromise or is your long term moving the needle like Ruth Bader Ginsburg's long term so far that you can't go back? Yeah, yes, absolutely. And I will say, <laughs> I think um, my, I guess when I think of my long-term, like, right, so much of our conversations about, like, racial justice and equality, to me, like, you can't divorce that from, like, economic policies that we both do and don't have, right? Things like raising the minimum wage, having paid parental leave for for, for everybody, regardless of gender, and also just making sure that's accessible to everyone. Like, I just feel like there's so many... Not like, I don't know, just like we have to make sure that our human rights are met before we can even move forward with everything else. And that to me, it starts with like, like you said, housing people who are unsheltered, making sure that everybody has access to the quality of mental health, death, Mm -hmm. wire, vision and dental separate from health insurance. We don't know. But like having all of those things covered until everybody has like their base, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs met, regardless of where they're at mentally, physically, whatever then you can have conversations about like, is it fair to blah, blah, blah. But, but like the fact that basic we haven't even gotten the space stuff to me. Basic anyway, needs. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. You're talking about something that uh, it, 
it speaks to people's insecurities because I think that's the reason people are fearful and hoard. Um, and I don't mean like hoarders because that's another thing. But I mean like hoard, like money, billionaires. And you're like, you mm-hmm. live in a, you have two mansions not being lived in and you're m- mad about, you know, crime in the city nearby. It's like, you don't realize like you could actively go out and change it. So it's yeah. like, that's what I'm like. I think there's this real feeling that there's not enough, but if you actually look at the resources, there is enough. It's not being there's allocated correctly. Enough. Yeah. And so that's when I think about the long term. the, the, this, okay, I'm going to even say even more explicitly, the uncomfortable truth is there are some people who right now, like especially Trump supporters in the wealthy bracket, not the delusion of poor people who have been lied to because that's another thing, but I think they're also yeah. being manipulated. Don't I don't excuse their behavior, but they're a little bit like also unwell being manipulated. I'm talking yeah. about the rich billionaires who know what they're doing, know it's lies, but know it benefits them. Those people who are saying like law and order, no protest, who are working so hard to oppress, it's because... If they even, okay, they, they're talking about like their whole life ending, but I'm going to be totally straightforward and say, if any of them had to live like middle-class people now, what we consider peace and stability, they would consider their life was ending. A, A rich person losing everything and having to move to an apartment renting and drive one car and go to work nine to five every day is to them terrible so we have to ask ourselves because it is terrible but that's the thing and the, if the long term are ready to begin with they're like no 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 please don't make me sell my mansion everything's <laughs> failing and i'm just like please let me be able to have a job like i'm struggling to have a job that i want to do that i paid money to study so that i have the right. skills to do like i'm still looking for that full-time tv writing job which is like fine i'm happy with my job now but point is this is the system i'm in right pay money, work hard, build experience, keep losing money until you're good enough to do the job that you could do all along or whatever. Yet yeah. that's my success is having a job to go to and being able to pay the bills there. That to them is failure. So we have to acknowledge that. Like nobody yeah. is acknowledging that pe- some people like who are complaining about being scared of like rioters and looters, like, and we're just like, no, 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 it's not a fear. It's like, well, it is for you because what you have, you don't, you should, you shouldn't have this. So that is true, but I yeah. don't think it's enough to say, Hey, like, let's just listen to the rich people. But I think it's enough to go, Hey, let's not argue with the rich people who would consider our lives a failure. If they had to go tomorrow to live like us, that would be a very big life-changing thing for them. And if we could just pay rent for a year, knowing it was coming for sure and live in a one bedroom apartment, like a lot of people that's considered success. So that I think we have to acknowledge, like it's not, I don't want to convince someone who thinks my life is a failure to agree with me. Cause you know what? I don't think that should be the dynamic at all. Yeah. Yeah. We clearly have a different worldview, you know, and it's, uh, yeah. Also, by the way, in my, in my dream plan where everybody like, already is housed and has all the stuff that they need also none of us are working more than like 25 hours a week uh i don't know i just think of like oh i love this because you well okay i want to hear that but this actually goes perfectly into our final segment of the game so i'll just prompt it but i want to hear the rest of that so the game is um uh i I, i've done this before i've been doing this more on the zoom ones lately because i've been thinking a lot about how society can change it's just three rules it's called three rules and it's dominique jellen's three rules for society so if you got to like start a new little 
commune or it doesn't have to be a commune. You've got to start a new country, city, whatever. Everyone there has to follow these three rules. It's optional to go here. So, but if you go here, you have to follow the rules. So ideally the oh, idea yeah. is everyone would follow these rules. They, you're kind of advertising it and people would come and live here because they like it. What would your three rules be? No magic though. No magic's allowed. No magic. Um, well, okay. I think the, the first rule um, would be, I'm going to lump all of the, uh, the, the basic needs into one rule, which is that basic needs must be met. And I do think that like a 25 hour work week is a part of that. I think we need space. We're like, sure, let's, let's work, let's earn money, let's do what we got to do. But then you should also have time for stillness and just like, what does my brain do when I'm not freaking out about hmm. are my bills paid? Is my rent paid? What 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 am I like when I'm just myself and not my worries? Um, well, so that my would question: be a, Would you be uh, allowed to work more than 25 hours? And the reason I ask that is because the, first, it's like the person who's willing to work 26, then 27, 28, and then and then that's how capitalism happens: is they make more. So would so it doesn't matter either way to me. I'm just curious for the sake of people yeah. wanting to move here, are you allowed to work more than 25 hours if you want? Or is there a stipulation condition to working more to prevent people hmm. taking advantage of I, productivity? Maybe it's like you can work more if it's, um, you can work more if the benefit isn't money, if that makes sense, right? Like, let's say you're like, Hey, I've worked my 25 hours at my job, but this week I'm working to learn how to like build a desk. Mm, okay. Um, Learning hours. I love that. I think that should yeah. be built into every job is there should yeah. be, even if it's 2%, but I think it should be like five or 10% cause then you'll grow your employees. You should be paid to learn like, not like those stupid race seminars that they're making us do, but, <laughs> but I'm sorry. I didn't realize people who listen, uh, listen to this. There are some crossovers people who also watch the show I write on, which I will not say, but mostly these are jokes. I really <laughs> think, look, you know me, if I didn't want to work there, I wouldn't. So I can, again, criticize it without being completely critical, but yeah, I, I'm going to yes. criticize these race seminars and I do hope someone hears because it's wild, but, um, but I'm glad, I'm glad they exist, but they're not fully thinking through it. So I mean, learning like something, a real skill that you're like, oh, I want to, you know, go to law school. I want to do this like next level career yeah. and you should get paid for it because if you're smart, the company is going to benefit. Yeah, that's I mean, people should. I think the HR term is professional development mm -hmm. and. But yeah, some of them, some of them are hit or miss. So but okay. actually, and this is more for your listeners, if you work. At, a, at an office type setting, you can probably go to your HR person and be like, here's a class that I want to take. It benefits me, but it also kind of benefits you. Mm. Um, and usually they have like a budget of maybe like, there's usually a professional development budget. Sometimes it's like up to $500 a class or up to one class per year or whatever it is. Look into that. Um, yeah. Cause then you could fly the coop. Okay. okay. Rule number two. Number two. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, shit. Um, Rule number two, I think we'll probably just go to decency of not being a dick. Um. <laughs> How would you <laughs> enforce this? Anyone could rat on anyone and say they're a dick or, or was there a set, um, are there examples of not being a dick? Like roughly, yeah, how do you quantify that? I forget what the, 
theory, what the name of this theory is, but it's like you have the right to swing your arm, but your right to swing your arm ends where my nose begins. Mm. Um, like, you know, so it's a very do no harm kind of thing. And I think we would probably have like a three strikes rule, depending on the severity of this. I I know three strikes is not popular. Uh, (laughs) I actually don't know the details of this three strikes law here. Um, But I think it's more of like, hey, if you're, we won't like throw you in jail. This isn't like a death penalty town, right? Because this is a town. So I think it's like, if you do harm the same way multiple times, then I think that's good. Yeah, there you go. Patterns. But it's like, yeah, patterns. There we go. Because I think if you like, oh no, I got into a car accident. And then the next time you're like, oh no, I set set this yard on fire. I don't know. Room for mistakes, it sounds like, because there's a difference between being a dick and doing a dickish thing. Because if you do a dickish thing and you apologize and you move on, you might not be a dick. You might have done a dickish thing and you do deserve to apologize to that person, but you might, you might be a person willing to learn and grow. So (laughs) not knowing the legalities, don't be a dick is rule number two. Okay. Um, And I don't know, uh, maybe rule number three would be that everyone's in a while we do like a a community thing like it's not mandatory (laughs) i know people are introverted i myself am very um like love being in my own house all the time um but maybe just like once every three months just like figure out who your neighbors are what they're into go to like a community dinner or some shit i don't know yeah that's like a kind of more cultural but built into the fabric of society is that like things are sponsored and done every three months in a way that it's central and people want to go yeah, I like that. I mean, it's kind of like how more yeah. um, before, you know, we we got industrial revolution and agricultural revolution of all these big cities and pe- anonymous towns before when it was more like the tribal um, mentality of like, you know, your neighbors and your community and your block. Mm-hmm. That's how a lot of holidays came out of like a lot of Chinese holidays are like they do involve some sort of festivities like we all go and look at the moon or there's this dragon parade, this boat race. Cool. It's this idea that like the village probably gets together and around a thing and i think yeah yeah i, I like that a lot and, and and uh in it sounds like in your town it'd be more central instead of like we have many things but too many things here where it's like too many music festivals too many concerts like it's not one community right right yeah i mean like yes people can certainly like do things on their own but like the town there's more like, of like a central okay. quarterly hang I love that. Okay, I like this. I like these rules. So that's uh, if you want to live in the island of, uh, or maybe it's not an island, but the secluded uh, commune area where all these rules are in play, Dom- of Dominique yeah. Jelen's Do- Domville. Those are the three rules. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, yes. well, Dom, uh, tell people where they can find you and how they can hit you up to live in your your ville. <laughs> yeah, um, find me on Twitter. That's where I talk the most shit. I'm at Dominique underscore Jelen, like the Dr. Scholes, but with one L, um, <laughs> commercials. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's pretty much where I'm at right now. And, uh, my website's on there. So if anything new comes up, there will be more stuff. Oh, you know what? Sorry. I do have one thing to plug. Yeah. I wrote for something with Bay area radio drama. That's going to premiere October 1st Ooh. and they did a few radio plays. And so one of mine will be, Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. exciting. Congratulations. Um, go check that out. Thank you can you. follow this podcast at tell me anything pod and follow me at Larissa T on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you.
Have you ever gotten a tampon stuck up there? You ever kicked a man in the balls when he told you how to smile? Ever peed on a guy's face for money? Well, we've got you covered. With enough stories, we'll drown out the patriarchy for good in their own semen. I'm Heather Ann Gottlieb, and this is Dirty Girl, available now on the Hoo Ha Ha Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Hoo Ha Ha Podcast. <laughs>